Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, TV personality, and founder of The Cocktail Guru. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Dad, I, I'm kind of dressed to go play golf or something. I feel like yeah, this <laughs> Yeah, very casual. That's great. I'm in a golfing. Like I'm in a golfing mode. I think I texted you a picture of um, Ben, my son, um, your grandchild. Um, yes. At the yes, driving, I know who he is. You know, okay. <laughs> at the driving range, it was a lot of fun. Yes, you did. It was a great picture, uh, and I am dressed in my philosophical shirt today. <laughs> That's right. Which you... we will we will explain oh. as time goes on. And it will become clear as to why I said that. In a few months, or just about a month, it will be um, Father's Day. So happy, uh, yes. happy early Father's Day, Dad! I, well, I'm starting early. You, I see that. What do you I, have? I have my drink in hand today, uh -huh. Uh -huh. which is uh, different from all the other drinks I've had during our podcasts. This is a very interesting one, and I'm smelling it. And that uh, I could just sit here and smell this forever, because it happens to be. Lagavulin. It's Lagavulin. It is not just the regular bottling, mm -hmm. which is 16 years old yeah, generally. Yeah. This is the double matured bottling from uh, a very auspicious year. And you'll recognize the year right away, Jonathan, my son. Is it my birth year? It is 1979. Okay. Yep. Which Great. was, in fact, your birth year. We don't have to remind. We don't have to remind people how old I am. But <laughs> I, I'm assuming you, you're drinking a, a Scotch whiskey because we have a Scotsman coming on the uh, on the show today. Yes. Well, we have an Englishman. An Englishman, rather. <laughs> yes. Let's not insult him. Great Britain. A Great Britainer. Yes. So let's. Dad. So yes. Let just let me. Okay, I know. Describe. Just let me tell you how wonderfully rich and peaty this is. <laughs> okay. And I'm just going to take a sip, and then we'll get right into our guest. Mm. Mm. That is so good. That's rich. That was just um, matured the second time in a Pedro Jimenez cask. So there's a lot of sherry. There's richness. There's a whiny character to it, plus the intense peatiness of the Lagavulin, which you would normally find. Mm. It's really a delicious, complex single malt. So let's do, let's do the intro for our guest, shall we? Well, we shall. Okay. And our guest is very special today because he is a consultant. But mm. I must say, he's more than a consultant. He's not just a consultant. He's a multifaceted consultant. I have to say, when I saw, you, when I saw your uh, introduction with uh, a lot of his accolades and background, I was like, wait a minute, is this the same person? Are we talking yes. about the same person who does all of this stuff? Jonathan and I had an argument because he <laughs> thought I was mixing three or four different people into the same podcast, and I had to insist that I was not. And you'll see why in a minute, our listeners and viewers, because our guest focuses on quite a few things. He focuses on mental health. He is a philosopher. He is the creator of a philosophical movement, as a matter of fact, called Stoic Athenium. He is a consultant um, to those who um, are in the copywriting business. He's, um, he helps 
with copywriting, if, if you need that assistance. He's the author of Horror Stories. Yes, Horror Stories. He is a brand consultant who believes that logos, ethos, and pathos should be part of a um, grand philosophy. Uh, sorry, a brand philosophy. And he is the creator of Drink to That. Ah, yes. This so guest has so connection. many facets to so many facets to him that we have barely scratched the surface. Obviously, there is much more to, to unpack during this interview. So let's welcome our... In just one moment, we're, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of the farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com Okay, yes, in one moment. Our, our... <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Our guest is here all the way from Manchester, England, Jamie Ryder. Welcome. Well, guys, what an intro. I've just got to say that's a really great way to lead me in, and I'm so appreciative to be here chatting to you today around various things, philosophy, drinks, and whatever else we get into. Oh, and you know what I forgot to mention? The first thing I was going to mention, a sake specialist. Well, yes, that's what a brings sake it. sake specialist, which I, which I did not mention. That's what brings it all around. Um that's well, right. well, Jamie, you are a man of many faces. Um, I'd love to first off talk about. Um, well, mental health has been a has been a big deal in in the spirits industry and in general. And can you tell us a little bit about um, you know your philosophy on mental health and what sorts of things you've been working on um, in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I always love this subject because, as you rightly said, mental health in many different mediums and industries is so important from trying to do it from a well-being and whether regardless of the size of the organization it just has to be done from a top-down level all the way to the bottom and my perspective on it i'll just start with my personal story a bit because that's where it begins when i was a kid i went through a few different challenges in various aspects and it was really part of my personal history to say people have gone through these specific things but it always needs to be spoken about in wider organizations and particularly over the pandemic many years later this is where the philosophy aspect came in because i'd never studied that professionally at all at school i was aware of it but over the pandemic that made me feel quite anxious because we were all cut off from different people and we we're all stuck inside so i personally had to find a way to recalibrate that and philosophy was that subject. It was through listening to podcasts, reading through books, and learning particularly around stoicism, which we'll also talk about in a little bit. But that was the catalyst for me around mental health that made me realize that this is so applicable to my personal story, but it can also help other people who might be going through similar issues, and particularly around hospitality as well, where there's a lot of stress going on. The industry is suffering from all these lockdowns and losing business. And that is just one particular medium to look at it through. But from a holistic standpoint, all of these techniques and practices are just for the individual, but also for that wider community as well. And, you know, yes, there's a go ahead, Dad. 
No, I was just going to say there's a lot of stress everywhere. And it's philosophy that has gotten me through life as well, because I started studying philosophy when I was in college many years ago. So I know just how important that is and how it can contribute to one's mental health. And, um, you know, I always, whenever I do trainings for bartenders, I always like to say, well, I, I train them and I tell them this. I tell them we are always so used to taking care of other people during in the hospitality industry that we forget about taking care of ourselves, um, which is which is a huge thing. So, you know, Jamie, do you have any what are some of these techniques that we could possibly utilize to assist us? Yeah, there are a couple of variations on this, and I really like looking at two schools of thought called Stoicism and Epicureanism, and they are very interwoven together, but the Stoic aspect comes from, you know, at the very beginning, it is just focusing what you can control and what you can't control. And if you just imagine being in a high-stress bar environment where there's a lot of things going on around you, you've got orders, you've got drinks to take, cocktails to make... That philosophy, personally, for me, is a great way to take a step back and try to take the stress out of it. And there's a wonderful technique that I like to use called the view from above. And that is essentially looking at things from a top picture view where you might pause for a second and think, people who are going on around me in the same environment, they are probably going through similar issues, whether they're stressed out or they may be anxious about certain things. So you'd imagine by saying, Right, I'll take a step outside of myself first, see these people on my same level, but then take it a step further by then in the city or the place where you're at, more people are probably going through the same things as well. And then finally, you'll imagine that you're looking down at the whole world and then you're all connected by this element of humanity that all binds us together. And then slowly you'll come back down into yourself. And the idea is that once you've done this mental work, you might be in a better position to actually say, that stress is probably not that bad or it wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was in the grand scheme of things. And then you may be able to go about your day as well. Another one is called the premeditation of adversity, which is basically trying to prepare for a possible scenario that might not come up yet, but from a resilience building exercise. And what I mean by that is you might be going into the bar to create like a lot of different cocktails and you think, oh, what if this happens or what does that happen? But you can try to say, if this happened, then I could prepare for it. And then by uh, doing that again and again in your head, you'll have already done the mental work to say, yes, something might have gone wrong, but regardless, I'll still face it. And that's fine. It's perfectly okay for things not to go right. Now, going over into Epicureanism, this is really interesting because I think from a hospitality perspective, when somebody says they are an Epicurean, we might associate it with like fine food, drinks and all of that stuff. Whereas the actual Hellenistic philosophy developed by Epicurus was the opposite. It was actually about moderation because Epicurus wanted to go into the garden, which was his philosophical community, to step back from the world and try to live on scene or a bit more moderatively where Stoicism is similar to that. But that was more about being engaged in politics and being out in the world. But if you think about it from like a sommelier perspective, if you say you're an Epicurean sommelier, then you could say, I'm not trying to get people drunk with this wine. It is about teaching them moderation. Or you could use this in like a no and low context, because obviously no and low is a great and up and coming category in itself. But you could combine that by saying, 
I want to do an Epicurean tasting event based on moderation. And the practices in this particular school are very applicable to that idea of moderation and cutting back on drinking. So there are just some connections that I see with hospitality and philosophy. Yes, Epicurus said we should all pursue pleasure and flee pain. And in that respect, fleeing pain means, as you just said, Jamie, it means moderation. It means doing things in moderation, not overeating or over drinking, but doing things moderately. And that's, that's what, uh, as you said, that's what Epicurus was all about. Very interesting philosophical movement as is stoicism. Yeah, I, I love this. You know, I, I love talking about um, this this sort of stuff. And, you know, I think what you were saying about um, being prepared, you know, if, if you're going in for a shift and you know you're going to be slammed and you know it's going to, it's a Friday, Saturday night, if you just go in there um, mentally prepared um, and you go in there with the mindset that, you know, other people are coming in with their own, you know, guests are coming in with their own shit. You know, the other employees are coming in with their own crap. Um, and that's them. And then you're you. And I, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I really like, I really like thinking about this sort of stuff. Exactly. And what I love about these two particular schools of thought is they are very practical because, when I first thought of philosophy, I thought, oh, it was quite dry and, and, you know, it's just like sitting in an armchair, just having a conversation without actually living your life. But philosophy to me is that learned thing. It's not just talking about it. It's showing up and doing these exercises or living what you believe. And you don't always have to articulate it. You could just lead by example. But then you can look at these practices from a leadership standpoint as well and just embrace them as you try to lead a good example for your staff or whoever you're trying to talk to. Mm -hmm. And someone and someone once told me, and this is a really good thing to keep in mind, is to follow your fear. So the technique is if you go into a situation and you are fearful or you think something's going to happen, then you just ask yourself in your mind, and then what? You know? And then what? And then what? And then what? So for instance, if you're walking into um, a shift at a bar, and you're like, oh, man, I know that someone's going to come in and complain about my drinks. <laughs> um, then you say to yourself, OK, so someone comes in, complains about your drink. And then what? Well, you know, OK, uh, I'll remake the drink. And then what? <laughs> and then the person will like it. Great. <laughs> you've, you've followed. You've completely followed your fear. Yeah, it's like saying, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? And you and think all, about it in your mind and you resolve it. And I just wanted to add that also reminds me of improv as well, that idea of like, yes, and so yeah. there's loads of different ways you can look at it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. There's so much involved. It reminds me of uh, uh, your mentor, Gary Regan, Jonathan. Yes. Much yes. of what Jamie is saying reminds me of Gary Regan, who was very much involved in mindfulness in bartending. He was a great bartender Absolutely. and an author yeah. who we follow, used to follow very closely until he passed away, but we still value his writings and his philosophy. That's right. Yeah. If you don't, if you're not familiar with him, Jamie, you should definitely look him up. Gary Regan. Um, and I think he was, I think he was from around where you're from. I think he was from, Man I think he was from Manchester. Man I think he was from Manchester. Fact. So the, you yeah. know, 
the same accent. <laughs> uh, we're yeah, all city of philosophers then. <laughs> and he grew he grew up in a bar. His parents owned a bar in mm-hmm. I, I believe in Manchester, and that's how he grew up. That's right. Um, yeah. Can we uh, actually? We're going to take a quick break right now, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. If you're into swag as much as we are, then look no further than our Cocktail Guru Shop. The items in our store have been personally chosen, handpicked with care by me, I'm Jonathan, and my team of Cocktail Gurus. A water bottle with a stainless steel straw? Yep. T-shirts? Mm-hmm. Hoodies? Yeah. Snapback hats? Signed copies of Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide? Cocktail box kits? Bar tools? And more! You betcha! We've even managed to create a onesie for that mocktail lover in your family. So head on over to shop.cocktailguru.com and use code GURU23 for 10% off your first order. Great deal. That's shop.cocktailguru.com, 10% off with code GURU23. Cheers. And we're back. Um, Jamie, can we talk about the Spirits Connection and how you uh, got into sake and, and, you know, became intrigued with it. I assume that what was it, was it something um, that came out of the pandemic also? So this is quite interesting to me because if we take that wider spirituality and philosophical route, I'm also quite fascinated by the East and Japanese culture generally. So I actually have a website where I write about Japanese culture and that was the catalyst for that. So I started writing about sake and the drinks and the food as well particularly in the uk so that was my interest and i have still yet to go to japan but my idea was that if i can't go there yet then i'll bring it to me by writing about it and then the more i did these articles the more i wanted to learn about sake and we're quite blessed in manchester in particular where in the northwest we are absolutely leading the way for sake and japanese drinks in the other part of the country whereas it's mostly focused down in london so I went on a sake tasting with the person who actually ended up training me in sake as well. He did it so well. So that is a gentleman called John from the Northern Wine School. And that just fascinated me. So that started a rabbit hole where I wanted to learn about it as well as shochu and the Japanese spirits as well, because I know you've also had Chris Pellegrini on as well. And he was another mentor for me by just listening to him and oh, reading yes. his books. Yeah. So just all of that uh, came together where like, this is just so great to talk about this. And then it's just breaking down, you know, the stereotypes about what sake is and what it isn't and saying that it's a drink that can be had in many different scenarios. And the same goes with Japanese spirits as well. Yep. And I do want to confirm one thing before we move on. Gary Regan was born in Rochdale. Oh, Rochdale. Rochdale, great, greater... Greater Manchester. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is very close to yeah. where I grew up. So, yeah, I do have to check him out. Yeah, now. Rochdale. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and so his, yes, that's right. His family had a bar in, was it in Rochdale, maybe? Uh, probably. It, yeah, I, I probably was. Yeah, Or Manchester. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, th- well, that's really, th- I love, I love sake and I love Japanese culture as well. I was, I only had the pleasure of visiting once uh, for a very short amount of time and I didn't even visit any sake producers, um, but I had plenty of sake. <laughs> um, and you know, what are, what is, what is a misconception, um, of, of sake, uh, that you can share with us? 
oh, we'll be here all day, but I'll just <laughs> say the one thing that comes into my, my mind, and I'll say this for, from a perspective of people who have had a, a few different types of sake, because you can get some purists and you can get some people who only like specific things, but generally all sake is great sake because you do get the premium kind where you've got Ginjo and Junmai, where people might say Junmai is that pure rice, there's no added alcohol there, and then they might only assume that Oh, because pure sake, that must be the best kind, right? Or the top level, like Junmai Dai Ginjo, that must be the ultimate type of sake. But you can get table sake, Futsushu, that is just as good and more cost-effective. It just depends on your mood and actually who you're with. So I would just always say all sake is good sake. Never be hesitant just to try something or just don't assume that something on a label means it's going to be better than the other thing that you see. Yeah, and there's so many misconceptions about shochu as well, which is uh, which is something Jonathan and I have been studying recently, thanks to Chris Pellegrini, and uh, and they're both sake and shochu, both wonderful, wonderful drinks that everybody should f- pay attention to and taste as much as possible. And you even created a book, did you not, Jamie? A book on uh, the bars that are focusing on sake that are promoting sake in Manchester, a book called Kanpai. I think that was an an article that I wrote, actually. And yes, it was an article, a guide to the sake scene. Yeah, that's right. Yes. But saying that I actually do have a couple of free resources that I do like to give to people around a beginner's guide to sake and shochu as well, just to help add that little bit of educational piece. But certainly, yes, with that article, that is a list of, bars and restaurants in Manchester that are promoting sake and doing it in different ways. But again, that's another strand of thought for me. I like to write those kind of articles where it's putting different drinks in different parts of the world, which is where my newsletter drink to that ties in from categories of all kinds. Wonderful. And is it true that is Manchester based on what I've been reading about what you've said, it seems as though Manchester is now the leader of the sake movement in the UK, even uh, outpacing London as a as a great centre for sake? I would certainly say that is the case in the Northwest, but because London being what London is, that is always still going to be the epicentre because that's where a lot of the high rollers are and everything going on there. But because sake is still quite a niche thing and Japanese drinks to an extent too, it is nice just to see it developing outside of London because, again, even people in the UK might think that London is the be-all and end-all of the country, but it's not. You've got Wales, you've got Ireland, you've got Scotland, and you've got the rest of England too, all trying to uplift the community and other categories in different ways as well. Uh, Jamie, we would be remiss if we did not bring up uh, your horror connection. And and I'm fascinated uh, by this and your uh, the sweatshirt hoodie that you're wearing has some sort of horrific character on it. I'm not entirely sure what that is, um, but um, so you've written horror books, and how did you get into um, that genre? Yeah, well, I'll put on another hat now. Shall yeah, I? exactly. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, from a very young age, I love creative writing and fiction. That's actually where I started a lot of my creative work, and horror was a genre that. 
I just really got fascinated by. And I think looking back now, it was more of that psychology element where we talked about a bit about fear before. And I think that idea as humans, fear is quite a complex emotion for us. Now, some ways we could want to face our fear and challenge them and horror might be that medium for it. And the horror world that I've actually created in this context is called The Frontier. So that is a horror Western world, which I always like to describe as a mix of The Witcher meets Red Dead Redemption, where you've got like a supernatural world of monsters and there's cowboys and various other things going on. And for a drinks connection as well, I've actually created like different drinks in that world or I've put whiskey and rum and other spirits in certain levels of importance. Now to take that, for example, whiskey is like a godly drink in that world where it's like the nectar of the gods, literally, but whereas rum is still just as important but like in only certain parts of the frontier and there's like a bit of a rivalry going on between these two organizations that run them so that's like a completely different train of thought but that's part of the appeal to me it's actually doing a constant world building exercise while also writing a lot of different stories in this world whether it's novellas short stories and i've got a, a plan to write more long-form content and novels in the future it's just when i get around to it and where can we read some of these stories, Jamie? So I would say go to talesofthefrontier.substack.com. That has got all of the world building elements and a few short stories on there. Wonderful. And, you know, Wonderful. the the horror genre has really had a comeback um, in, the, in the last several years. Um, and I actually think that maybe the pandemic had, had a fair amount to do with that because, okay, we've basically lived through a horror movie <laughs> and now let's read stories about it where, you know, Hey, we've been through it. We've been through any, everything and anything. And so nothing can phase us now. So let's let it all go. Let's let it out <laughs> by creating oh, horror stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, movies, you know, I've recently gotten into um, movies like uh, Nope um, and um, get out. Have you seen those? Yeah. I have, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, and brilliant filmmaking, I think. Um, and it's not necessarily gory horror. It's really, um, it's really cerebral horror. <laughs> I do tend to enjoy that kind of horror stuff the most myself. Like two things that come to mind for me are It Follows and Smile. I don't know if you've oh, watched I, those. I saw before, Smile, but... I saw smile yeah. on an airplane. And uh, yes, I was... It was a little freaky. <laughs> yeah, so it's that encroaching sense of dread for me where you, you, that is those films and those kind of stories really encapsulate that fear of the unknown that I think is there on like a very primal level for a lot of us. And mm. that is what, what a lot of us really fear at the end of the day. But there's always different ways to deal with that. Yeah, but also in the movie Smile, I was actually um, surprised by the ending because generally speaking, I think um, there is closure <laughs> Um, unless, unless you've got, of course, a sequel coming. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the plan, but, um, you know, that just makes it even more horrific. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's another topic that I wanted to touch on before we part company and that is copywriting, copywriting when it comes to describing cocktails, Jamie, you feel that most bars and restaurants aren't properly describing their cocktails. They're not making them as appealing as they could be. Um, and I, I'm sure that's one of the things you help 
them with when they come to you at, uh, for consulting advice. Um, also, um, you feel that the cocktail itself should be generally very appealing and very eye-catching. And those are two elements that you think are crucial to the proper sale and promotion of cocktails in bars and restaurants. Absolutely. And just to touch on this a little bit, I think storytelling is the key here and there are different ways to look at it. But just to take the cocktail from the appearance, yes, that is part of the wider story. But if you're thinking more on the written copy side, then you can look at it in a few ways. I love looking at drink menus. Like I want to read the story and to actually dive into the ingredients. And I've looked at menus that I think are pretty good, others that are a bit so-so. But what I look for in that copy sense is... Tell me about the ingredients that really say what is in this. Like if even if it's just like very down to earth, it says this is the ingredients, then that's great because you just want to tell the person straight away what to expect. But if it's part of like a wider narrative or a theme of the bar, then I'm, I love seeing like little touches of saying, oh, we thought of this when we thought of it or emotive language that actually tells the story, like really of the moment copy that says this is what you can feel when I drink this. But if you look at websites, for example, with spirits or cocktail websites, it's interesting to tell a story there as well, particularly from product descriptions and on labels, because it is saying this is where this particular ingredient could come from. So in my head, it's like from a psychological perspective, it's saying, oh, this consumer could be transported on a journey now to that part of the world because you've actually said this is the story of the culture that this cocktail is from or this spirit. And on the website as well, it might say, this is all our distributors or distillers that this is a part of their story as well. So it's doing it in a very story-led approach where you can see the beginning, middle or an end. But there's always the idea of the product and the feeling that somebody's going to get by tasting these products. Yes, so we should be telling stories when it comes to cocktails, making them uh, mouth-watering in in our descriptions for sure i mean there's so many different yeah it's the oldest form of communication yes storytelling yeah absolutely and we're gonna leave our stories cocktail stories we're gonna leave it at that because um we've we've run out of time and jamie we we really appreciate your time and i i love what you're talking what you're doing and what you say what you have to say i think it really resonates with me um and i think it'll resonate with our uh our listeners and viewers so Thank you very much. And you are indeed a complex human being. <laughs> there's there's much, much more to come, Jamie Ryder. Huh. Well, think of me as like a very deep cocktail. It takes a while to get the taste in, but you're always going to have an interesting experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I, and I do appreciate your time, guys. I always love listening to this podcast and keep up the great work. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Perfect Puree of Napa Valley and Glen Warrenji. Hey everyone, uh, it's another Tipple Time segment on the Cocktail Guru Podcast. And you may notice that I am here in my kitchen, if you're watching. Yes, this is my kitchen where all the culinary and, and mixology magic happens, as well as in my uh, home bar. All right, well, I've got a great product from Perfect Puree that I wanted to highlight today and it is their peach ginger. And 
literally, I dream about this peach ginger puree. Um, they released it just about a year ago, uh, and it works so well in cocktails. And what, what I wanted to do was make a little smash for you, um, kind of a peach ginger whiskey smash. So we'll go right ahead and do it. I'm just going to cut half of my lemon here, and I'll squeeze half of a lemon inside of my mixing glass, just like this. Okay, I will add Glenmorangie X. Folks, this is a really lovely mixing scotch whiskey from Glenmorangie. Uh, it is a newly released product. It is made for mixing. It's really nice in highball drinks, martini drinks, rocks drinks, smashes, which is what I'm doing today. So I'm going to add two ounces. So it's a really nice hefty little pour. A hefty little pour? That's an oxymoron, isn't it? And I've got my perfect puree peach ginger, and I'm doing an ounce. Actually, I'm doing two ounces. So it's basically equal parts. It's just three ingredients. And there's just a touch of sweetness in this peach ginger. And um, it really goes a long way in this drink. I don't have to add any simple syrup, just a touch of citrus to kind of balance everything out. So now we'll give it a shake. All right. And I have a nice stemless wine glass, which is what this is right over here. And I'll just pour this out into my glass. I smell that peach, I smell that ginger, I smell the whiskey. And we'll do a, an, a lemon wheel as a nice garnish. Look at that, just a nice thin lemon wheel. Just lay that right on top. That is beautiful, it's quite summery. And that's really what this drink reminds me of. It is pure liquid summer. I'm going to take a little taste. Mmm, so good. That's what I'm calling it, liquid summer. Sound good? Cheers. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Glen Morangy and Perfect Puree of Napa Valley. On the next Cocktail Guru podcast... Yeah, something that has always bothered me... Uh-oh, uh-oh. ...about tiki... It says only one per customer on this menu. I'm glad we got that straightened out. Yeah, it's making me thirsty. On the next Cocktail Guru podcast. That does it for today's show. If you enjoy what we do, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the show with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Just click on the donate button at the top of our website and choose your donation amount. To learn more about our guests, visit www.thecocktailgurupodcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and wherever you listen to your favorite shows.